a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And from you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. We will be taking your calls, your questions. Number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. And good afternoon, Governor. Good afternoon. It's great to be with you again. A brand new year. And you have your State of the Union tonight, and the legislature is, seems to be moving at a breakneck speed on a bunch of different bills today. Let's start with those. Sure. Um, first of all, the transgender bills. Uh, we have a transgender bill that just uh, received the second reading approval on the second reading in the Senate, moving pretty quickly through the Senate. Uh, give us your thoughts on the timeline and the speed for which this bill is making it through. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Historically, the first week of the session is kind of a slow session. Everybody's just getting to know each other. And uh, and and really, the last two years, I, I would say that has changed. Um, both the House and the Senate have been uh, have been really interested in in starting quickly, um, getting getting people going and taking on some of the, the, the bigger and, and tougher issues. Uh, this is one. Wh- what I will say is, though, these issues are issues that have come up previously. Uh, so during the interim sessions, there were hearings on on many of these these bills, including the transgender bills, and uh, and so I'm, I'm not surprised to see those moving forward uh, so so quickly. And uh, there, there was a hearing on uh, on this particular bill uh, yesterday, and uh, I, I thought I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a, a good hearing. I, I didn't listen to all of it. I, I try to catch up at night as much as I can, mm-hmm. and uh, I was able to read some of the comments, listen to some of the comments. I thought uh, I, I thought both the bill sponsor and and some of the uh, the Democrats who opposed the bill were very articulate in their um, in their arguments and their disagreements. And I, I thought overall it was a, it was a very respectful exchange and a, and a good exchange. So so I'm excited to see what happens with these bills. Okay, for listeners who are just tuning in, let's make sure they know what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about Senator Mike Kennedy's bill that would prohibit transgender youth from undergoing gender affirming surgery and using puberty blockers. And again. And that did just re- receive a key approval. What are your thoughts on the bill itself? You talked about the debate. Will you veto this bill? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not planning to veto this bill. Um, I've had lots of conversations with the uh, with with the bill sponsor and and with others. Uh, there there are there are several bills out there um, uh, around this topic, and and I believe this one is, is is the right bill, the the one that that approaches it in the right way. What he's doing is, and, and I I have to point this out. Unfortunately, this is such a um, such a charged issue. 
such a divisive issue. It's become part of the culture war battle in our state. But what we're seeing is, including in, in, in extremely progressive countries in Europe, um, they are relooking at this issue as well. We don't know what the long-term effects of these surgeries and uh, these medications are on our young people. Um, and, and I think it's really important that we find out. And that's, that's all Senator Kennedy is doing. Senator Kennedy is a doctor. Uh, he treats uh, young people who are, are going through these procedures. And uh, and all he's saying is we're, we're going to push pause. Um, we're going to look at the research. We're going to gather all of the data and make sure we're not doing any long-term harm to our young people. And uh, I think that's a very reasonable approach. I think one of our texters asking a key question. They want to know what you plan to do to protect the rights of kids and teens who identify as LGBTQ+. Uh, the last few bills, they say, seem to be geared towards limiting their rights. Sure. And what do you plan to do to protect their rights? Yeah, well, it, it's important. And, and I, I talk about this all the time. You'll remember last year, in fact, I, I issued a five-page um, written uh, a document about why I believed that, that the legislature was making a, a mistake. And, and this is where I, I hope, and again, we're so caught up in, in this social battle, and I'm trying to take the emotions out of it. Let's look at the science. Let's look at, at, uh, at the research. Let, let's try to do what is right. And at all times, protecting those who who are struggling, um, and and we know that we have vulnerable young people who are struggling. Actually, had um, members of the LGBTQ community, including uh, transgender youth and and their parents, come to the mansion. We talked about these issues, uh, trying to get a better understanding of uh, of what they're facing, and, and again, making sure that we're protecting them. And and I hope that we can do both of those things. Such personal, private yeah, issues. For sure. Um, are you concerned about the message? We're sending. I, I'm always concerned about the message, and that was my message. I invited legislature legislators to meet with them as well, um, so that they can understand the impacts. Um, and, I, and I would share this with with everyone out there. It just when when you get to know people who are being impacted by these laws, it changes. Uh, it ch- it changes you. It becomes personal. It's not just some cable news talking point. It's now real people and real struggles, and there are real struggles. And and I. I think it's I think it's critical that uh, that if you're going to make these decisions, that you actually take time to get to know the people that are being impacted those decisions. And I have to give Senator Kennedy credit because he he has done that and continues to do that. Um, there are some others that have not done that, and uh, I would encourage them uh, to be to be more thoughtful, to be more kind, to be more engaging, and to keep an open mind because uh, these conversations might change your mind on some topics that you you think you know. Let's turn to the state of the state. Yeah. You're delivering your state of the state tonight. Uh, you want to give us a couple of glimpses? I, I, I would love to, and I'm, I'm really excited. I, <laughs> I know uh, it, it, people don't get real pumped up for a, you know, a 20-minute state of the state address. But well, They should, for, especially when the state's doing so well. Well, I, I hope so. And, and it, here's a couple things. When the president gives his speech, it's never 20 minutes. So let, let me just assure you that, that mine will be much shorter than the one the president gives. Um, and number two, we're, we're doing something really different. Uh, something that I, I don't know if it's ever been done, at least as I've looked back through history, I haven't seen it done. My, my message is always to legislators, but this time it's going to be to the young people in our state and to the children and grandchildren of our legislators. And in fact, we've invited our legislators to bring their children and grandchildren. And so you're going to see for the first time um, 
young people on the floor of the House of Representatives, kids and grandkids, um, when when I'm I'm giving my speech, and and that's I would invite um, Utahns, not just parents, but this is one where I hope uh, at six thirty tonight you'll you'll tune in to KSL or wherever you know online wherever you catch um, the the state of the state, and uh, you'll you'll ask your kids and grandkids to watch with you. I, I think we have a message. I'm I'm really worried uh, about this next generation, and yet I'm optimistic about this next generation. I. I, uh, I, I believe that Utah is a place where uh, where our kids and grandkids will be better off than we are. I, I still believe in that dream, that, that Utah dream, that American dream. And, uh, and, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about why, why we should be optimistic. Um, there will be some nostalgia in there as well for the older folks like me in the room. But uh, I, I think it's, this will be a speech hopefully the entire family can enjoy. A lot of talk about children, schools, pay raises for teachers, uh, the per-pupil unit, all those things are coming up in the legislature. Um, Also, the school choice bill, um, which seems to come up every single year, uh, mainly it's been called vouchers or whatever. Sure. What has changed this year in your mind when it comes to that bill? So we, um, we, we've had, uh, we've had, a voucher attempts in the past. Last year, we had a bill that I did not support, a, a bill that failed. Um, I, I, di- I didn't veto it. A lot of people think I vetoed it. I did not. It actually failed fairly significantly in the House of Representatives. And uh, m- my my argument has always been, look, if, if we're going to do this, it needs to be an even playing field. Um, we need to make sure that if, if, if we want competition, and I have no problem whatsoever with competition. In fact, our, our, our schools will do well. We've got some data that shows that um, over 90%, around 90%, percent of, uh, of, of families, of parents, are, are happy with their schools right now. You, you hear all of this pushback, our schools are terrible, things are going poorly, and, and the data just does not prove that out. Most, again, I, I can't find 90% of people that agree on anything right now, but, but 90% of Utahns like, like their school. And, uh, and so I, I have no concerns whatsoever uh, about the, the competitive piece of this, but it just has to be an equal playing field. And that means we have to pay our teachers enough. That's really important to me, and I've said that. Uh, I can't support this bill unless we have a significant pay raise for our teachers. Uh, I, I, I hope that's coming. It looks like that's coming. We seem to be getting more support. I've been pushing for that. Whether or not there's a, a, a voucher bill um, or, or a school choice bill, I support significant increases for our teachers. So I'm hoping that will come. I also hope, again, that we can we can allow our schools. We, we, we want our schools to compete, and then we put all of these really ridiculous requirements on them uh, that, that make it harder for them. We, we say we're holding them accountable, but it's actually having the opposite. Like school grading is a great example of this. We, we, we have school grading based on tests, but then we allow parents to opt out of the test. And in many schools, the, it's, it's the smartest and best students who are opting out of the test, which then lower the school grade. So we have the state requirement to do one thing and a state requirement to opt out of one thing, and we get these ridiculous grades that are absolutely meaningless and it, it hurts our schools. Uh, so, so those are the types of things I would like to see change, and I think there's an opportunity to make those things change. And I, I do. Th- I'm hearing. Um, I'm not. You know, I'm not doing the vote counting, but I'm hearing that they think they have the votes to accomplish it this year. So we'll see what happens. All right, we need to take a break. Uh- we have our callers waiting on the line to ask their questions. Number to call with your question, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. 
I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let, Let Me, Me Speak, Speak to, to the, the governor. governor on KSL News Radio. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Let's go to the phone lines. James is on the line in Provo. Good afternoon, James. What is your question? Well, good afternoon, Maria, and good afternoon, Governor. What I wanted to discuss is uh, water levels in the Great Salt Lake, and uh, obviously the recent snows are welcome, as would be more rain, and we hope for that. But I noticed in the paper one suggestion mentioned was cloud seeding, and and, Governor, has any data been presented to your desk showing how effective cloud seeding might be? I'm just kind of wondering, would it be, you know, cloud seeded in Utah and it might have inadvertent consequence of helping Colorado with rain? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Certainly, James. Thank you. It's great to hear from you. Thanks for, for calling in. So it, it, it's interesting. Um, the, the good news is that we are having the best the best winter in about 20 years so far. Uh, and it looks like we're getting a little break in storms coming up finally. But we're, we're so excited now to have um, uh, basically we're, we're at about 200 percent of normal when it comes to the water content in the snow. And, and in fact, uh, I, I'm, I'm pleased to report that the Great Salt Lake has already risen more than a foot. No one expected that. That was not supposed to happen. Uh, that's a that's a really big deal and is setting us up very well for an incredible spring. But we still have a, a long ways to go. Now, you specifically mentioned cloud seeding, and uh, it, it, it may be a surprise to many listeners, including you, James, to learn that Utah has been cloud seeding since the 1950s. And and there is research out there and data out there that shows that it does help, that it does make make a difference. Um, how much of a difference is is still a little bit unclear. Uh, it it, it does not benefit other states. The, the cloud seeding is, is a fairly immediate process. Uh, you, 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 you put these, these particles in the air, and, uh, and, and it helps us to extend our storms and to add to our storms. Most of our cloud seeding has been done along the Wasatch Front in, uh, you know, in the ski resort areas of, of the state. But we are expanding that this year and, and doing, uh, doing significantly more. The, the legislature funds up to about 350000 annually as a match with local water districts to do some of that cloud seeding. Uh, but we're, um, we're, we're requesting $5 million dollars to expand the uh, the program uh, from from the seven areas where we're doing it now to ten areas and uh, we, we we like what what we're seeing so far and uh, we hope that it will continue to add to the snowpack as we move forward all right James thanks for your call next listener governor says how are we protecting the water that we've received this year they know that we were we're not going to be out of the drought, uh, but what is planned for this year in terms of water savings? Yeah, so so again, we're very excited. Our reservoir systems are set up in such a way uh, to to capture that water and and make sure that we're storing it again for future use. Uh, and 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 of course, w- one of the things that has changed though was historically we didn't we didn't want that water to go into the Great Salt Lake. We wanted to use it for other things, uh, but we changed that last year. So more of that water will actually be going into the Great Salt Lake and. We 
we, we are just so fortunate for the people that came before us that, that sacrificed so much and, and understood how important it was to, uh, to build these systems of reservoirs. Really fascinating to hear the California governor just a week ago talking about how they, they needed to do more in water storage and, and actually looking at, at, at the design that we have here so that California can do more. They've had, they'd have had an incredible winter, even better than we are, which is good. All of the um, upper basin and lower basin, Colorado River basin states that are doing so well will uh, will help all of us. It will help with the um, with the, with the, the the bigger reservoir system, Lake Powell and Lake Mead specifically, that have been struggling so much. We we need many more winters like this one. But but this is the uh, honestly, if if I could have written my dream scenario, it would have played out exactly like it has until now. Now what what's interesting? Uh, most people may not know this, but um, but but March, April, and May are the wettest months of the year in Utah. So we January is not supposed to be like this. December was not supposed to be like this. So it's it's kind of all gravy now, uh, and I'm certainly hopeful that uh, as we that February will get us some some snow. February is usually a drier month, but then uh, then we'll really hit it hard in in March and April and and build up the rest of that snowpack. Brian in Woods Cross also wants to talk about the Great Salt Lake. Good afternoon, Brian. What is your question? Hi. Yeah, it uh, sounds like this is a big topic today. Um, I'm just wondering. There have been a lot of uh, uh, options put forth for uh, rejuvenating the Great Salt Lake uh, pipeline from the Pacific, uh, which is a, a non-starter, and drilling deep wells, et cetera. But I'm wondering if you have had any, um, buddy, anyone present uh, a, and the options for bringing water from the Snake River down. Uh, it would be a lot shorter, uh, not nearly the elevation change. Um, could be done in the wintertime when they don't need the water, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of really good possibilities there. And just wondering if you'd had anybody look at that. I even have a, 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 a synopsis written up that I could send to somebody uh, if you were interested, but just wondering what you had heard. Yeah, Brian, thank you. And, and, and again, please feel free to send that to, to my office. You can go to my website and, uh, and get the email address there. You can send it over to the Department of Natural Resources. We, we love hearing from, from, uh, from, from people and, and their ideas. I, I can tell you that the answer is yes, we have had some of those conversations. Uh, we, we, those are conversations that are happening broadly with, uh, with different states. Now, again, there are water rights at, at, at issue and, and most places, Places aren't aren't excited to give up their water, but uh, but I, I do think that as a nation, um, these are kind of the long term conversations that we need to have. We know as as climate changes that different parts of the country are going to be affected differently. Um, there and this is always cyclical. It, it, it's been that way for a long time. It, it always surprises people to learn that uh, the Great Salt Lake was about at the level it is right now. Now that we've gone up about a foot um, in 1964, and and I went back and looked uh, in, in the newspapers back in 19. 1964 to see what people were doing and how worried they were about the Great Salt Lake, and we couldn't find uh, anything uh, of people worried about the Great Salt Lake. So certainly that that has changed. What we do know again is in 1983, 1984, we were flooding, and we would have loved to send some of our water to uh, some of the other drier parts of the, of the country. And so there there is a broader discussion about what a system of uh, of pipelines for water might look like and and how that that could react. Uh, but but certainly looking at uh, you know looking north where it would be uh, much easier for us to get some water than going to the, uh, going to the Pacific Ocean, the, the Snake River. Uh, of course, we've got the Great Lakes, the Mississippi River, which is, which is running very dry right now as well. Uh, so, so lots of different discussions happening. And, and those, are, those are 20-year discussions, um, and we would need some federal input to make that happen. But, uh, but, but I'd love to hear your ideas. 
All right, Governor, we have just a couple of minutes before the bottom of the hour news. I'm going to try and squeeze in Mindy from Draper here. And good afternoon, Mindy. What was your question? Just interested to hear you um, explain how you feel like it's more kind to youth who want to transgender um, to transition at such a young age where they, um, you know, there have been studies found that youth who transition are not any less likely to commit suicide than those who never have the operation. Um, Also in transgender sports, how it's kind to those who have someone of the opposite sex, say, you know, a a male competing against a female in a sport. How is it more kind to those who are competing against them? I feel like it's a very one-sided approach that's maybe really short-sighted for long-term health of these youth that are being allowed to transgender. So, I'd love to hear you explain your position on that. Yeah, well, thank you, Mindy. And apparently you don't understand my position. Um, my position on the first piece of that was very clear that uh, that we're we're looking at, at, and that's the exact thing, doing the studies to, to figure out, make sure that we're not doing any long-term damage. And uh, and that's why I said that, that I, was, uh, I, I was not vetoing the bill. That was the question that was asked. On the second one, it sounds like, unfortunately, you also didn't read the five pages that I wrote about this last year, and I would encourage you to do that. You can still go find that, and, uh, and it will explain exactly exactly my, my reasoning behind that and it wasn't I, I didn't I was not advocating for um, for you know biological males to be uh, to be uh, participating in sports taking opportunities away from um, for, from girls in sports that's not what I was arguing at all um, in fact it was the the exact opposite of that but what, what happened last year was very unique and very different and that is that we were working on we were working with everyone on on something that would prevent that from happening happening, but do it in, in a very respectful way. And on the very last night of the session, with about an hour left in the session, there was another bill that came out of nowhere that didn't have a hearing, didn't have any input, and that's the wrong way to do this. So um, so uh, you're, you're making arguments for me that I've never made. Um, I, I didn't say that there was anything kind about those, those other things as well. But we can do these things in a respectful way, and that hasn't always been the case. And so um, I hope that we can, we can all be better about that, treating people who are different than us with with love and and respect um trying to understand how difficult it is um for for them and uh and and especially when they are mistreated that's what i'm worried about and that is happening far more often um than uh than than the things that you're you're accusing me of uh, of of being in support of all right mindy thanks for your call we need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news number to call 801-575-8255 you can text us 57500 this hour, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Spencer Cox answers questions from KSL. And, and from you, call now, 801-575-8255. Let Me Speak to the Governor, live from the studios of KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Spencer Cox. We have a couple people on the lines, but the number for you to call with your question, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your question at 57500. Matt is in Farmington. Good afternoon, Matt. What is your question? Good afternoon, Governor. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, My question is in regards to the I-15 expansion project and how it affects uh, residents of Farmington in particular. Of the three current options, two of them in particular could have a, a large negative impact on neighborhoods and residents in Farmington. 
What power do you have as governor to help make sure UDOT hears our concerns and takes responsibility for the impact that they make on dozens of homes that uh, could be demolished uh, of the expansion or during the expansion? Yeah, Matt. Thank thank you for um, for for your concern, and, and I've heard from from people of Farmington. So to directly answer your question is, I, I do have some ability to uh, to let you dot know how important this is, and and to make sure your voice is heard. But I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the the process that that we go through, and and there's a reason we go through this process, and, and it really is. I, I know I know it's easy um, for for people to be cynical, and sometimes I'm cynical to think you know my you know it's already baked, or people have already made a decision, and none of this matters. And I want to. Assure Assure you that 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 is not the case. Like like your your feedback really does matter. So r- right now we are in the environmental impact study phase uh, of the I fifteen expansion. So y- you mentioned that UDOT does have multiple alternatives uh, along the I fifteen corridor and in the surrounding communities. Um, and I, I can promise you none of these have been decided yet. It's not like oh well, let's throw this other one in. We know what we're going to do. That's just not the case. Um, for those that 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 haven't seen it, you can uh, you can go to I fifteen. 15eis.udot.utah.gov and uh, or just go to UDOT's website and, and you can search there and be able to find it. So they, they've they've UDOT's already held extensive discussions on on the EIS with Utah residents. They've heard from people like you, Matt. I hope I hope you've been able to uh, to, to attend some of those or to uh, or, or or to file your um, your, your statement with them. Uh, they've talked to local governments, businesses, um, residents, other stakeholders, and and the department will continue these discussions as they prepare what's then called a draft EIS for public release. Now, once that draft is released, UDOT will then hold another 45-day public comment period. So you'll get another opportunity to weigh in before they make a final decision. And uh, we will then consider and respond to those comments and make it, make uh, potentially necessary revisions. So in, in short, we're really at the beginning of that process. Nothing is set in stone. And uh, we, w- the public will have lots of opportunities to continue to weigh in there. And, uh, and, and I've already, Matt, let them know that this is something people are concerned about. And I will make sure that that process is is followed through to the T. All right, Governor, while we're on the topic of roads, we do have a listener who's concerned about Highway 6 and is asking if you have any plans to fix Highway 6 or make it safer to, or increase patrolling by UHP. Uh, they say it seems more and more wrecks are happening and causing it to be shut down, and this is a major roadway for people of rural eastern Utah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I'm very familiar with Highway 6. In fact, uh, for uh, m- most of my life, I mean, for, and for seven route, years, I traveled yes. yeah, the, fir- the first uh, 10 miles of Highway 6 every day for for seven and a half years, and uh, it, it used to be back in the eighties, um, people will remember that it was it was uh, famous as being the most dangerous highway in in the United States. Now, the good news is there have been significant changes made to Highway Six to make it safer, and uh, though that dangerous highway statistic has gone down significantly, uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, we still have we do have projects, uh, multiple projects that that uh, that are happening on uh, on Highway Six, and uh, those will certainly continue. We'll continue to work with UDOT to make it make it safer. Uh, we every accident that happens there, we, we review those accidents, and it gives us a chance to look at things and figure out if if there's a better way, a better design. Um, you know, it, it, you you also mentioned speed being part of that, and uh, certainly we're looking always at, at where we have speeding happening the most and how we can make it safer. Um, I, I will just say this: that when you have a winter like this, where there is significantly more snow than we're used to having or have had in the past. 
past. Uh, we do see accidents go up, unfortunately, and 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 sadly some tragic accidents. But but the answer is yes. It it is one of the highways that we are focused on as a state, and as funds become available, we'll continue to invest in there. All right, Krista is on the line in Lehigh. Good afternoon, Krista. What is your question? Um, so I am just wondering what legislation in the session you're supporting that addresses the housing crisis in Utah and if um, there's any upcoming legislation on increasing taxes or even limiting the number of short-term rentals here in the state that exacerbate our housing issues. Yeah, th- thanks for that question. Uh, in fact, Krista, it's it's one of the things that I'm going to be talking about um, tonight in, in my State of the State address, but I- I'm happy to answer it here. Uh, the, the answer is yes. There, we've been working all year on a couple significant pieces of legislation, and uh, we're still kind of putting the final touches on that. I'm hoping it will be out next week. I talked to one of the bill sponsors last night and, and said it was coming. Um, t- two things. One, and I, I, I say this all the time, but I think it bears repeating, and that is that this is really simple economics, and, and you you understand that by, by the tone of your question. If we want housing prices to come down, we just need more housing. And and so we're the, both of these bills uh, will be focused on how to get more housing. One of them is focused on infrastructure because we have buildable lots right now where building is not happening because we don't have infrastructure. So water lines, sewer lines, those types of things, and how can we help uh, make that more affordable? So that's, that's one piece. The second one is the role the government has in making housing more expensive expensive. Um, the, the, the time it takes for us to get approvals, the, uh, you know, the, the, the different fees uh, that, that are put on, um, b- building lots, um, all of those things we're looking at trying to figure out how we can reduce the price of housing. Now, y- at the end of your question, you brought up the, uh, the, the short-term rental piece of that. This is something I worked on last year, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't get enough support in, in the legislature to do something around that. R- right now, I can tell you our latest estimates, some good news. We've gone from a shortage of about 46,000 units to uh, to a shortage of about 30,000 units, but that's still a shortage of 30,000 units. Um, right now, we we think we have about 25,000 short-term rentals. Um, and and so I, I'm a private property rights person. I think people should be able to decide what they want to do with, with their property. The, the problem that we're facing, though, is when you start turning our housing into hotels, um, that, then that limits the amount of housing that's available for you know, for our kids and grandkids. And so we we may have swung the pendulum just a little too far. We used to have some regulations around short-term rentals. We we got rid of most of those. Still looking at that and uh, trying to find the right balance. All right. We need to take a break. When we come back, Ken and James, you'll be up next. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Get your questions answered by the governor. Call 801-575-8255 to join Let Let Me Speak speak to the governor. Governor on KSL News Radio. Thank you for joining us for this final segment of Let Me Speak to the Governor. Let's go right back to the phone lines. Ken is in Camas, and good afternoon, Ken. What is your question? Yes, Governor, thank you for doing this program. Um, Let me preface my question. You know, I think that if, um, if every Republican legislate what legislator had the temperament and instincts that you have, um, I probably wouldn't have to ask this question, but Republicans seem to care so much about parental and individual rights when it comes to things like censoring books and, um, you know, having scientifically um, proven vaccines like COVID vaccines not mandated in schools, but they seem to care little um, for the parental rights of parents, unlike you and I, um, 
who have children, you know, that suffer, um, you know, with gender dysphoria, that are transgender, and that are seeking, you know, medical treatments, um, you know, in order to resolve or deal with those issues so that those kids don't end up in the morgue um, because of suicide. And, you know, it, it's apparent that this legislature is hell-bent, um, you know, on taking away those parental rights. And I just don't understand the gross inconsistencies within, you know, your party, the party of Trump. Yeah, th- thank you for the question, and uh, and I think it's a valid question. I, I think it's a it's a question that deserves um, discussion. I, I would tell you that that someone on, on the other side of it might say, well, it's really interesting that Democrats seem to care a lot about uh, about uh, what happens, except when it comes to uh, to this one. Then then suddenly Democrats care about parental rights and responsibilities. I think you can see the hypocrisy on uh, on both sides of this, and and sadly we live in in a nation where politics is is very hypocritical. Uh, there's no question about it, but that, that's why again I, I'm trying, and I, I I believe there are certainly some in my party that uh, that are hypocritical on this issue. I, I do believe that there are others in my party, and I think Senator Kennedy is one of those who who is really um, intentional. And, and and I think if you listen to uh, to that hearing yesterday, uh, he, he he is very thoughtful and very intentional about trying to do the right thing, trying to make sure that there is no long term harm. We we do make discussion. Uh, decisions for better or worse all the time about kids and uh, and and what they can and can't do um, you know I we, we don't we don't let kids smoke um, because we've decided as a nation that 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 would cause long-term harm and uh, that that would not be good for them and that that's not a decision they should be able to make until they are older and and and, and we're not even going to let the parents make that decision right and so so the the, the counter argument here is that that this is a decision when you're talking about um, about radical decisions uh, that will have long-term consequences. Uh, we should make sure that uh, that we are getting this right, and and that's that's why Senator Kennedy's bill is a pause. Um, it, it, it's a pause a, until we have better data, uh, better understanding of what is happening out there. And, and I will say, I mean, there, there are New York Times articles about this. This is not just a Utah thing. It is not just a Republican thing, although you are correct to say uh, that it has certainly become a culture war thing. But there are well-meaning scientists and researchers on both the right and the left who are really concerned about this. And so I don't think it's fair to say that everyone who believes that we should push pause and make sure we're not doing any long term damage is a hypocrite. Um, I, I, I do think that there is some of that, but but I think it's a, a misnomer to believe it's it's everyone. All right, let's go to our next caller, and that would be James in Clinton. And good afternoon, James. What is your question? Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call today. This question is for the future presidential election. I'm sorry it's so off-key to what everybody was talking about today, but I was hoping to put a seed into your mind of thinking about maybe running for vice president with Boyd Matheson running as president. What are your thoughts on that, Governor? <laughs> well, well, thank you, James. Did anyone I, ask Boyd? <laughs> I, I, I'll tell Boyd and and see <laughs> see what it, what what he's thinking and and uh, make sure he's he's ready to go. No, look, uh, I, I get asked all the time. You know, who are you supporting for for president? And I hate even talking about it because it's it's still so early. Uh, and uh, but I, I'm I'm always partial to governors. Uh, I I think I I like governors just because they've had executive experience. Um, we we've seen some of our best presidents. I think in the country have been. For 
former governors, and uh, we we have a couple governors uh, on the right that that are are, are interesting or or interested in in my party. Um, certainly, Governor DeSantis, I think, is getting the uh, the, the most attention, the most support. I, I was with him a few weeks ago uh, down in Florida. We had a we had a wonderful discussion. Um, I, I I I really like Governor DeSantis. I, I think if you watch some of the things he was able to do during the hurricanes, the way he responded, I, I thought was very presidential. He was able to do things um, that that were incredible. Some of the roads they built that should have taken months and years, they they were able to do in weeks. Just really impressed with the way he stepped up during those disasters. Uh, I, I, Governor Yunkin from uh, from Virginia is somebody I also like. Uh, wonderful person, um, great business background, really smart, and uh, and and just gets this stuff. And uh, so, I, and I, I think there will be other governors. I think right now there's probably five or six governors that are looking at it, and uh, I'm 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 very interested in, in them. And, and I can assure you that I will not be uh, I will not be involved as far as running for uh, for a presidential spot or a vice presidential spot. All right, let's go to the next caller. Get as many callers in as we can. Uh, Lisa is in Hebrew. Good afternoon, Lisa. What's your question? Hello. Uh, nothing political. I live in Heber City and the beautiful state of Utah, and I don't understand the process as to why we don't have recycling going on in every community in Utah. And, and I know there are maybe small places I can take my recycling, but I'm used to having a garbage can and a recycle can, and I don't have that in our community. Why priority for every town? Thanks, thanks, Lisa. Thanks for the question. And, and uh, again, um, I can't I can't speak for for every city and town. Um, you're right that those are, are local decisions. Uh, I can tell you that as a former mayor and uh, and a former city councilman, that uh, that every community has uh, financial considerations and constraints. Uh, unfortunately, and this will come as a surprise to many of you, um, when, when recycling was really taking off um, years ago, and and we had big recycling programs, uh, most people don't know that that that. That recycling and that material was going mostly to China, where it was being processed in China and uh, and then coming back to the United States or being used in in, um, in manufacturing over there. Uh, several years ago, that market dried up. Um, the, the Chinese stopped uh, stopped doing that. It became incredibly expensive. And this is this is sad to say, but many recycling programs in the United States they kept the recycling program going, but then they would just go put it in the landfill because it was too expensive to actually recycle it. There was no money in that. Now, what, what, I, what I do know is happening, we're, we're starting to see some of that industry come back to the United States. We're starting to see more of these recycling processing facilities in the United States, which will lower the cost and make it, uh, make it profitable again to actually do that. And uh, I suspect that we'll see those programs pick up in the years to come. Okay, let's see if we can squeeze Jerry in here from Bluffdale. Jerry, go ahead. You have two minutes. What's your question? representing the Great Salt Lake water issue when you can go to Summit, Wasatch, Weber County, and they're building these multi-million dollar subdivisions, you know, $3 million to $12 million, with all of them having private golf courses that the public can't use anyway. And they're just putting massive amounts of water that should have been going to, like, Jordanell, Deer Creek, Utah Lake, and then into the Great Salt Lake. But instead, they're capturing the water for the ultra-rich just to have their playground up there so they can golf and ski. Just wondering why we're wasting that water. 
Well, well, thank you for the question. Again, um, water rights is, I think, is really important, and, and people they're they're called water rights for a, a reason, not water contributions or water, you know, whatever you want to do with it, but but water rights, and so people have those rights, and uh, and and they're able to use that water for for the the, the purposes that they, they desire, and that's that's really important in a functioning society that we're we're able to have those rights. Um, now, what what I will say is that we're trying to add more transparency. I think there's a bill in in the legislature this year that would require golf courses to share the amount of water that they're using. Um, there are ways to make golf courses much more efficient so they can significantly reduce the amount of water that they're using. And, and then, of course, on the agriculture side as well, um, we're, we're working on significant contributions that will improve, uh, reduce the amount of water we're using in farming and impre- improve outcomes. And I think we're going to end up in a much better place. Governor, thanks for always being willing to come in and answer questions from our listeners. We have about 20 seconds left. State of the Union tonight six o'clock. Please join us. I, I, I hope it's worth your time. I think it really will be. Okay. Thank you again. Thanks, Maria. And you can hear the governor's State of the Union address right here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.